Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Krupa Patel, who runs the international market intelligence team within our wider Data Assets and Alpha Group. Krupa's team provides daily insights on near-term market direction and key macro and political themes, using a quantum mental framework which leverages a lot of our wider team's proprietary data sets. Krupa's team focuses on European and Asian markets, and the last time we spoke to her, which was about a month ago, she focused on Asian markets in the context of the Chinese mortgage crisis, fresh COVID lockdowns and stimulus. So today I wanted to shift to Europe, given Europe has really dominated market headlines recently, with Russia having cut off the Nord Stream 1 gas supplies, a new prime minister appointed in the UK, fiscal stimulus announced across various countries, including, I think, Germany, UK, Sweden and Finland, plus, of course, growing hawkishness from central banks, including the ECB. So there's a huge amount to discuss, and I'm looking forward to asking Krupa how she sees the tactical risk reward for European equities in light of all this news flow and in the context of our data toolkits. So, Krupa, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Eloise. No problem. So, there's clearly been a lot of headwinds facing the European region. Can you start by articulating what they've been? Absolutely. Well, really, there has been a cocktail of economic issues that have been facing Europe lately. I would summarize them in three key categories. Firstly, a recession is clearly looming large in Europe. Our economist Greg Fujesi in JP Morgan Research has recently downgraded his GDP growth forecast for the euro area yet again, given the spike we've seen in gas and electricity prices over the summer, and is now forecasting a deeper recession than he was before, which could arrive as early as by year end. Secondly, inflation is still showing no signs of moderating. As we saw with the inflation prints across the eurozone a couple of weeks ago, it looks like a divergence is starting to develop between the US and European inflation numbers with the US CPI print continuing to moderate at least at a headline level while the core is still rising. But here in Europe, that's clearly not happening yet. Rising gas prices has clearly been the issue here, but also I'd say that here the ECB has been a lot more behind the curve than the Fed has been. The ECB was only able to begin liftoff in July, and while they have just done their largest rate hike ever of 75 bips last week and could do more large hikes in the coming meetings, it's all still too little too late. Also, given the risk of an imminent recession, it may well be that they have to pause despite the still elevated inflation early next year something that our economists here are also forecasting. And this obviously means that inflation in the eurozone potentially stays higher for longer. And third, there is a real risk to earnings at this stage, albeit we haven't really seen it play out in the company announcements or analyst forecasts yet. 
Somewhat counterintuitively, we have actually seen a markup in earnings estimates over the last three months, as analysts have revised their numbers higher due to perhaps the market rally that we had between mid-June to mid-August, and perhaps also due to the euro weakness. As a consequence of this, earnings revisions for the stock 600 are now a positive 2% over the last three months, and I think this is wrong. The fact that earnings generally have still been so resilient despite all the growth slowdown we're seeing is unusual. If one believes we will see an economic recession, I think an earnings slowdown, if not a recession, is also highly likely. Typically, during economic recessions, earnings fall by 35% peak to trough, and so far we still have earnings estimates near all-time highs. I think this will change, and there is a genuine risk it happens in Q3. Thank you, Krupa. Well, quite a gloomy picture you're painting there. So I guess the question for markets is, is this all priced in by now? It's actually been fascinating to see the resilience in European markets post a number of potentially negative catalysts in the last couple of weeks, including the gas cutoff from Nord Stream 1. So at what stage, Krupa, do you think this is actually a buying opportunity? Sure. Thanks, Eloise. That's a great question. And it's a debate I'm having with a lot of clients in the last week, especially because of all the fiscal stimulus announcements we've been getting from governments across Europe to contain the financial hit to households and industries from the worsening gas crisis and also the cost of living crisis. And this could be seen as a positive for markets, clearly. Now, while the fiscal stimulus announcements are a positive from a near-term sentiment perspective indeed, fundamentally speaking, I think it may still be too early to turn constructive on European equities here. This is largely due to the scale of the growth, inflation, earnings risk that I highlighted earlier. But it's also due to the inflationary impacts of this stimulus and, of course, due to positioning. On the fiscal stimulus point, now I know there is a lot of debate in the market around the dampening impact of all of these fiscal relief packages that they could potentially have on inflation. But if I look at some of the initial estimates on this, the impact is not expected to be that much. For example, for Germany, our economists estimate that a reduction of households' electricity bill, something that was announced as a part of the $65 billion fiscal relief package just 10 days ago, that may reduce headline inflation by just 0.6 percentage points. And I would argue that in the medium to long run, all these fiscal stimulus measures are only going to fan inflation further, making central bankers' jobs in dealing with inflation even harder. And this is why I think that it's unlikely that all of this fiscal stimulus provides a major boost to growth and a dampening impact on inflation as well. And instead, I think it potentially just forces both the ECB and the Bank of England to be more aggressive than they have been so far. So net-net, you simply get the risk of recessions being delayed rather than removed across the region as a consequence of all of this. And this is something that our economists are calling for as well. And then from a positioning standpoint, there is very limited investor appetite to buy Europe still, despite all the fiscal stimulus announcements we've had. Anecdotally, client sentiment in most of my client conversations remains very bearish. And looking at EPFR data too, we now have seen 30 consecutive weeks of outflows from European equities. Europe, in fact, has been the DM region with the largest outflows year-to-date on this data. Also, just looking at hedge fund flows and our internal prime book data from our positioning intelligence team, 
outflows have consistently happened over the last three months. So all in all, I think there is likely to be further potentially significant downside for European equities from here. I think the moves in the last week when we've had all of this fiscal stimulus announced have been very telling. Markets are still failing to significantly rally on these announcements, telling you that people don't view them as a massive positive and inflation is still the biggest problem here. I would also note that our chief market strategist, Marko Kalanovic, is also still bearish on Europe and remains underweight Eurozone equities in his global cross-asset allocation framework. That's very clear. Thank you, Krupa. So you're still pretty bearish on Europe. Can I ask what would actually make you turn more positive on the region? Sure. The main catalyst that I think could drive a rally in European equities here is an end to the war in Ukraine, which very well could happen given Putin has now cut gas supplies via Nord Stream 1. So maybe Europe now reacts with reaching some sort of a peace deal with Ukraine. But then it's impossible to time this. And even if it does happen, after that boost, which could well be 20% in magnitude, it would still make sense to sell because of the deteriorating fundamental outlook that I described earlier. The other silver lining, if you like, for European equities is low positioning and valuations. As I mentioned earlier, given consistent outflows from the region, positioning in European equities is currently very light versus history. And valuations accordingly too are very cheap, especially relative to global equities with Europe's relative 12-month forward P now trading at a record low. So the setup is ripe for any good news to drive a rebound. But I worry given the risk of a deep recession and still elevated inflation, any rebound here could merely prove to be tactical and short-lived. That's really interesting. And it's worth flagging that our chief strategist, Marko Kalanovic, as you said, Krupa, he maintains a relative underweight in European markets versus the rest of the world. And he's been underweight for a number of months now. So, Krupa, can we turn to the UK now? There have been a number of recent developments, including, of course, the appointment of our new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who has announced a huge fiscal stimulus package, among other things, to deal with the ongoing cost of living crisis in the country. So how are you thinking about the tactical risk reward for UK equities at this stage in light of all these headlines? And importantly, the FTSE 100, which is obviously very globally exposed, has actually performed remarkably well year to date. It's actually up year to date in local currency. So Krupa, do you think now is the time to rotate out of that globally exposed FTSE 100 and into the more domestically focused FTSE 250. Sure. Thanks, Ali. So yes, as you say, the fiscal package announced by our new prime minister is indeed massive at around £150 billion, i.e. around 6% of GDP, which has been prompting a number of questions from our clients around whether it may be time to position for a further rally in domestic exposed UK stocks or FTSE 250 in light of these headlines. Now, I think beyond a very near-term boost, the domestic segment of the UK market is likely to stay challenged. 
even if all these relief measures do boost consumer confidence for a bit, the fact is we will still have a recession. Inflation is still very elevated and arguably harder to bring down in the UK as our baseline was higher due to Brexit shortages. And as we heard from Catherine Mann at the Bank of England, re-emphasizing just a few hours after Truss won the Conservative Party leadership contest, the Bank of England remains determined to be forceful against inflation. The more the new government acts against the Bank of England, the more aggressive, i.e. bigger and faster hikes will the Bank of England need to do. And this is something our UK economist Alan Monks is forecasting too. Alan sees the Bank of England raising rates by 75 bips at its meeting next week, and this could well be followed by further large hikes into year-end and next year too. Also, the net impact on inflation of all of this fiscal spend isn't necessarily going to be dampening, with inflation forecasted to stay elevated at 10% this year, and even in the medium term. The risk is that it remains high versus history due to the inflationary nature of these fiscal policies. The growth downside may be limited a little, but our economists still see GDP growth being negative in the fourth quarter. So all of this is likely to keep the pound under pressure. And this has been a key factor in driving the outperformance of the FTSE 100 versus 250 trade that many investors have been playing this year. And if the pound keeps falling, it may be a challenge for 250 or the domestic exposed stocks in the UK to outperform on a sustainable basis. The other issue with rotating out of FTSE 100 and into the 250 is the growing risk of a global recession, particularly in the DM world. In addition to a weak pound, an important reason the FTSE 100 has been outperforming global equities this year has been the defensive nature of the index. And if one believes that the global growth outlook may stay challenged for a while, then FTSE 100 remains a good defensive hedge to be exposed to. It's a trade that our equity strategist Mislav has been recommending all year as well, and kudos to him for timing it amazingly, and I'd note that he is still feeling quite positive on the prospects for the market. Great. Thank you, Krupa. So before we wrap up, let me attempt to summarize your key arguments today. Europe faces a number of challenges from a growth and an inflation standpoint, with our economists having recently downgraded their GDP forecasts for the euro area yet again to minus 2% for both the fourth quarter this year and the first quarter of next year, while still expecting inflation to remain elevated at 9% this year. Positioning in Europe X UK is light on a five-year basis. However, Krupa, you think the severity of the growth and the inflation headwinds may not be enough to catalyse a further market rally in the short term. To get really bullish, we'd need to see signs of a resolution to the war in Ukraine, which could lead to lower inflation and in turn to potentially less aggressive uh, pace of central bank tightening. Note, as we said earlier, that our chief strategist, Marko Kalanovic, maintains a relative underweight in European markets versus the rest of the world. And then turning to the UK, the FTSE 100 has been remarkably resilient year to date, benefiting from sterling weakness and a relatively commodity heavy and defensive sector makeup. 
And as we look forward, one question we've hence been asked is whether it's now a good time to rotate out of the FTSE 100 and into the more domestically exposed FTSE 250, particularly in light of Liz Truss's significant fiscal plans. However, given the risk this fiscal stimulus fuels yet higher inflation in the medium term and yet greater Bank of England rate hikes, Krupa, you still see the risk reward for these domestic UK names as pretty mixed and you're in favour of the FTSE 100 right now. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Great. So thank you once again, Krupa, for sharing your views on European markets today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Eloise. No problem. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. If you'd like to explore our wider team content further, or indeed get in touch with any of us, please take a look at our website at jpmorgan.com slash market data intelligence. There you can always send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase and Co. and its affiliates. Together, J.P. Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.